Good evening. We are here with week three of this series, which is called The Exiles, in which we're talking about some of Israel's history and, and what they went through, what they brought upon themselves. Uh, and we started with talking about their time in the desert and, and how after being freed from the Pharaoh by God through Moses and Aaron, uh, they, they gave up so quickly on their faith just because they had to wait for a while. And, and, you know, Moses had his issues and Aaron had his issues and there were a lot of things there. But we saw how impatient they were in waiting and how it can be hard in the waiting sometimes for all of us, especially right now. Um, then we talked last week about when they were attacked and, and driven out of their city and just what that must have felt like, everything that they went through, uh, just the horror that Jeremiah felt as he was left behind, which is where we're going to, to talk about today, a little bit more about Jeremiah. Uh, and I want to go back and read from Second Chronicles uh, that. And this week is good grief because we're going to talk about good grief. Um, and I completely made up the title slide myself. No, it's not taken from anything at all. And uh, don't sue me, Charles Schultz. And so uh, one of the things that you'll find if you look through the Bible about uh, the time of the exile, you'll see that Jeremiah, when he wrote about it, and we read some of his last week, he wrote about it as a lost opportunity. Um, because for, from his perspective, he poured out everything of himself for God. And, and he was not angry at God, not upset at God. Uh, he was sad and depressed, but nobody listened to him. Hardly anybody listened to him. And so he felt that Israel had a lost opportunity and that the exile was really the exclamation part there. Uh, in Second Kings, which we read from last week, it kind of re uh, talks about it as a temporary end of history where they, they have... Uh, the idea that things will be back to normal. They, they believe it. They just don't know when, and they start to, to realize it's going to be a long time. Uh, and Chronicles, where we're reading today, uh, they see it as a Sabbath of the land, kind of like Israel had had prosperity, and they'd had this much time as a nation, which wasn't a lot compared to other nations, but at that point in history, they had been through a lot already, and they're like, okay, this is a Sabbath. We have to learn from here. And, and how you felt about it very much depended on who you were and, and your relationship with God and your relationship with, with history, your relationship with all kinds of things. And so I want to just recap real quick in Second Chronicles 36, 17 through 21. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, uh, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God, and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and the officials. Then his army... Uh, burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath, next uh, Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. So Jeremiah all along had said, this is what's going to happen. I, I'm not making this up because Jeremiah didn't enjoy the message. I remember one passage in particular where he talks about how he would give up the message, the, the, the job even, if it were possible, but because of his love for God and his burning desire to do God's will, it wasn't possible. Uh, and, and it's kind of similar to where Jesus talks about the cup right before the crucifixion. But... Over and over again, Jeremiah's message, and if you go through Jeremiah, you'll see this. His message was, listen, God is telling me that you guys are headed for a fall because you don't care about each other. You don't care about 
anything but yourselves and you're so focused on prosperity, you're so focused on the economy, you're so focused on money, you're so focused on royalty, you're so focused on being like everyone else that it's going to go badly. And he would say even specifically or as specifically as a prophet would get, what would happen? Like we're going to, to be in a lot of trouble. We're going to be defeated. And nobody believed it. Uh, people respected him, not everybody. A lot of people call him the weeping prophet, but they respected his message. They knew that he was a good guy. And yet they were like, yeah, I'd have to change my life in order to do this. Like, I'd have to actually be a better person, and I don't have time for that. And so they, they would kind of just ignore him or say, yeah, 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 we got it. We got it. You're good. And so Jeremiah over and over again would say these things and basically be ignored. And you can imagine, and some of you, I know there are parents watching with the teens. Uh, I'm not going to say which group, teen or parents, would feel this way, but you can imagine what it feels like or you don't have to imagine what it feels like to continually say something is going to happen if you don't do A, or if you don't do B, or if you do A or B. Uh, and you just keep saying it and saying it and saying it, as my great-grandma used to say, until you're blue in the face. And you keep saying it and saying it and saying it, and the person says, yeah, yeah, I got it, and they ignore you. And then something bad happens. Now, because uh, you love each other, because we, we love the people that we're over, uh, that, that we parent, that we... Uh, or employ, like however you want to say, well, maybe not everybody you employ, but you love the people in your family, hopefully. Uh, because of that, you're not going to say, I told you so. I mean, maybe you will kind of funnily as you're grounding them or whatever. But the point is, you have that desire. Uh, take away your family and just with friends, with uh, people that you see in the streets, people that you know from work, from wherever else. Uh, from school. Like when you say this is going to happen and then it happens, we all have that desire to say, I told you so, because we all want to be right. Uh, if you don't believe me, now don't do this right now, but as soon as the live stream is over, click over to the news feed of Facebook and you will see over and over again people saying things like, see, I told you, or I was right. And they say it in different ways. They say it with funny memes, quote unquote. They say it with jokes. They say it with all of these other things. But essentially it <laughs> comes down to, uh, I was right. And now it's raining really hard here. But uh, they're like, I was right. I was right. Because we all want to be right even more than we want to be loved sometimes. Even more than we want to help people sometimes. And that's a big flaw in, in Christianity and humanity sometimes. And so Jeremiah was in this situation where he was right. He was super right. He was as right as anyone could ever be right. Uh, he had everything right because he came straight from God and he listened to him. But he was completely right, and everybody ignored him. Everybody made fun of him. And so he could have been like, I'm still here. Uh, the Nebuchadnezzar is letting me stay. Uh, and so, you know what? I'm going to live the good life. I tried. I did my best. And now I'm good. Like all these people, who cares? Because they didn't listen to me. They had their chance. But instead, he went into this long period of grief. Not because people didn't listen to him, not because of what happened, but because of the people that were suffering. Because even though he knew it was going to happen, he still had compassion, he still had empathy, he still had love. He was still a servant of God, and so he felt such grief for the people, for the city, for everyone around him, because he knew that it could have been better if they just listened, if they just changed. And so I want to go to Lamentations, which has, uh, it's all about the exile pretty much. And what's interesting about it, first, Jeremiah isn't technically uh, listed anywhere as the author, but uh, uh, he's listed later as author of laments, different laments, and then uh, most biblical scholars agree that it really fits closely with his writing and with his time period, and so uh, pretty much Jeremiah is the author. And what's really cool, and if you have the original text from, from Hebrew, 
uh, the first four, I think there are five chapters, and the first four are written like acrostics. So it goes down from the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, I don't know the Hebrew alphabet, so I'm not going to say it. But it goes from essentially A to Z in their language, and each line fits that. And so that's just really cool how he uh, wrote from his heart. He wrote from God, and he did it in an artistic way. And it just really shows what God can do through people. Uh, and so I want to talk about this Lamentations 1, 1 through 7. And again, this is Jeremiah. Uh, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and became her enemies. So basically, picture this. Jeremiah is there, and this is how he wrote these during the exile. So Jeremiah is pretty much the only one left uh, that, that is a follower of God. He's pretty much the only one left, for the most part, uh, of import to the old regime. And so he is just looking out at the cities, looking at the burned temple of God. Now he knows nothing can stop God. He knows that even if the temple crashes, that doesn't affect God. But he also knows the symbolism of someone coming in and destroying that. And it hurts him. It grieves him. And so he's looking out there and he talks about Jerusalem as a person, similar throughout the Bible. Jesus even does. And he talks about Jerusalem and the fall, the hurt, the pain, the anguish, and how people turned away from her. People ignored her. People hated her even. People gave up on her and, and because they had this idyllic picture of what their Jerusalem was. And they're like, this is the country that, that, that we live in. This is the city. This is the way that you go. And they would not listen to Jeremiah, who brought words from God saying, you've got to be different. You have to be better to each other. You have to listen. You have to stop being selfish. You have to stop hating. You have to stop doing all of these evil things and then pretending on the Sabbath day that you're living a good life. And he would say all of these things to them. And as I said, that feeds into his grief. Not because I told you so, but because he probably felt, and I know that most of us have felt this way before, what if I'd said this? I could have done more. I could have said more. I could have helped more people. I can't believe this happened. And so all of that is coming out in this grief. And I want to go to the next part. Uh, Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to, Jerus the roads to Jerusalem are in mourning for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. Her, how bitter is her fate? So there he focuses more on the people. Now, he's very sad about the city and about the temple of God and about the country, but he also is grieving the people. Uh, one of the things in our society that you'll find is grief exists everywhere. We all know that because life can be short and because we get hurt. We lose jobs. We lose people. Uh, we lose money. We lose whatever. And it can hurt. Uh, and varying degrees. And so each of us grieve in different ways. When I do funerals, uh, one of the things that I say at the very beginning is don't let someone tell you how to grieve. Now, do your best to, to, to hold it uh, with other people and to grieve with other people and to talk about it and to pray about it and, and to learn from it and to carry it, but not to get lost in it. Now, I, I talk about that, but at the same time, so often, our society is like, okay, you were sad for a week, so you're good now. Like, uh, you were sad for a month. You were sad for a couple of days. Uh, this past week, I did a Facebook Live on, on Facebook. And uh, 
shockingly. And it was largely about my great-grandmother because yesterday would have been her 102nd birthday. And, and I still, there are times where I grieve her in different ways. Now, I'm not as sad as I was when she had to go to the nursing home or when I found out she had Alzheimer's or when she passed. But there are still times where something good or something bad will happen. And I have that initial desire to, to call her. And even though, obviously, landlines pretty much don't exist anymore, and if I called her, nothing would happen, uh, we had a rotary phone at home because it was old school. And, and I, wanted to, I will want to call or I will have a dream where her and my great-grandfather are alive and I'll wake up and there'll be that moment where I want to talk to them about something. And then I'll have that sadness, like I'll have that grief where I remember. Now, I don't uh, let it carry me down. And, I, you know, obviously I talk about my struggles with depression, but I'm not like, oh man, they're, they're sad, I can't do anything for the rest of the day. But I still feel that because it's different, because it's a loss. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to, to grieve because over time, that will heal. It does not mean you won't feel it anymore. And Jeremiah, he's grieving here. Uh, and, and like myself, he struggled with depression throughout his life, but he's also feeling healthy grief because it's healthy to grieve. So many people think that they're tough if they never cry. So many people think that they're tough if they never uh, show emotion, if they never are sad publicly about anything, but that's not being strong. Being strong is being who you are. It's standing up for God and showing what he does in your life, even if it means grieving, even if it means being sad. And Jeremiah has lost so much here. Now, there are people around that, that have lost more, and so there are probably people that have come up and be like, yeah, Jeremiah, but you could have lost all this, and you've only lost all this, because people want to judge our grief. People want to tell us how and when and how long and all of that. But grief is good because it is God's way of helping us come to terms with something. And through time, and through prayer, and through talking, and sometimes through counseling, and through that kind of help, we can get through it. But we still will carry bits of that, because when we lose someone, when we lose something that is very important to us, uh, it's a loss. And there are people who will grieve different things. Uh, pretty much everybody will grieve a, a person that we lose. But there are some people who will grieve a job more than others. There are some people who will grieve an item more than others. And it's so easy to be like, well, how could you care so much about that shell? Or how could you care so much about that box or whatever? And, and, and maybe there's a reason. Maybe it's something emotional. But it does not matter because it's their grief. And so it's important to carry that, just like Jeremiah is. And how is he handling it? He's talking to God every day, and then he's writing about it. Now, I'm not saying everybody here has to turn into poets. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody here has to, to go write. I'm not saying that everybody here has to keep a journal. I think it's a good idea for most people to do if you can, but that's not a requirement. Talking to God is the most important step. It's the first thing to do. But then talking about it. Uh, talking about it with the spouse, talking about it with a friend, talking about it with a parent, talking about it with a, a, a co-worker, somebody that you trust, with a pastor, with a youth pastor, with a Terry, like talking about it with someone and telling them how you feel and making sure that it's someone that you trust. And then when someone comes to you, understanding that you may not understand their grief, you may not understand why or how they're sad or how it's taking so long for them to get over it or why it didn't take so long, but being there and being there as a friend, being there as a, a, a listening person, a shoulder to cry on, a listening person is awful grammar, but being there as a shoulder to cry on, being there as someone uh, just with an ear, just being there is so vital. There are times, uh, again, I've been on both sides, on every side that you can be on of funerals. Like I've 
uh, been there mourning my great-grandparents. I've been there uh, as a pastor at a funeral. I've been there as just a person that knows someone who is mourning. And so I've been in all of those different shoes, so to speak. And each time uh, that I'm not the person mourning, I have this desire to say the perfect thing. Now, I've trained in counseling, and I, I've gone through ministry school and like all of these different things, and so I know that there's no perfect thing to say. But because I'm human, I still feel that. And when I see someone I love mourning or grieving, I'm like, well, I really want to say something to fix it. However, when I'm on the other side and I'm the one grieving, I know that I just want them to be there. And if they say something and it doesn't come out right, I'm not going to hate that. I'm going to be like, well, they're trying. And I might not say that then, but I'll eventually look back and be like, hey, they're trying. And so even though I know that, and even though we all know that, we still put so much pressure on ourselves to stop people from grieving. Not because we don't think they deserve to, but because we think we can fix it. And yet, we have to understand that it is a normal part of life. It's a part of the Bible. Lamentations is entirely grieving. And I want to finish the rest of it here in this, these last few verses. Uh, her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper. So the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer, searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from the, posture, from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wondering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to the enemy, and there is no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Uh, I'm going to take you behind the curtains a little bit. When I plan a sermon, um, like for a Sunday morning, I, I pray a lot. And for the, the youth I do also, I plan it a little differently because I go by series for, for uh, youth nights. But I pray a lot about what the topic is or about what the series will be. And I, I pray about what the scripture will be. And, and I just kind of read the Bible or look through the Bible or uh, Google topics, things like that, to where the Lord will po uh, point me towards something. And then whenever, especially on Sunday mornings if I preach, I'll have a scripture. And then if it's something like this where it's not got like a up note at the end, like, I like to end with something that's hopeful, and so I'll pray, and I'll be like, okay, what can I go with here that will add hope? What will I, can I go with here that'll, be say, that'll say something like, but God is always there. Something like Isaiah 41.10, that, that, that God will lift you up with his victorious right hands, that if you rely on him, don't be discouraged, don't fear, all of those things. And I like to end with that. I like to end with something like that to give hope. But as I was praying about it this time, I was like, man... I'm talking about grief, and God has put this upon my heart during this series, which is very sad because it's an exile, and, and talking about what Jeremiah is facing and how he wrote Lamentations, lamenting his problems and lamenting what had happened to his people and, and lamenting how people hadn't listened to God and lamenting how bad things were. And that's kind of the point, is that it's okay to grieve. You don't have to, at the end of the day, be like, okay, I've grieved for 23 hours. Now this last hour, I'm going to play Fortnite, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to be happy. Um, and hopefully not everybody does that. But if, if you go through your life like that, like, okay, so I have this set, number of time, this set amount of time to grieve, and then I have to be done with it, and then I'm going to do something to make me happy again. There's nothing wrong with doing something to cheer you up. There's nothing wrong with having something that lifts your spirit, with having a playlist that, that affects your mood in whatever ways. But when you put a time limit on yourself, 
you're not really going through the healing process. And I know that society kind of says something different because we're supposed to be kind of automatons going through life. And when we're in public, we're supposed to be this one face. And then when we're in private, we're supposed to be just waiting to go in public again. And that's kind of what you see. And you see right now, like people aren't comfortable when people have different ideas, when people uh, feel differently, when people are scared of things, when people grieve different things. It's hard because we all feel that spotlight on us saying, wait, I'm not fitting in with everybody else, or I'm not doing what everybody else is doing, what should I do? And we see it just comes to such political, insane arguments to where something like a a disease has become political, when in fact, one of the things I read was Christians should have been the first on the front lines of saying, hey, what can we do to kind of stop this spread? Or what can we do to help people with COVID? What can we do to, to affect? And, and I'm not going to get into masks. I'm not going to get into things like that. I'm not going to get into the politics of it. But if there's something you can do that maybe has a 0.01% chance to help somebody else, why in the world would you not do it? And, and the reason I say that, again, is not political. And it's not to tell you what to do, because that's up to you. That's freedom, not just in this country, but Christianity is about free will. God gave us free will. But as Christians, our job, our life's calling, everything we are about is to help other people, to help other people see Jesus and to take everything through the lens of what would Jesus do here? How would Jesus talk about this? Would he post this? Would he argue this? Would he say this? Or would he just help? And it's so easy in our grief even when we don't grieve normally, even when our grief becomes anger, which it shouldn't, but sometimes it does, it's so easy to say, well, that person is different than me, and I do not like how they're doing this. I do not like how they're thinking. And so instead of saying, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, talking calmly, talking politely, saying, you know, just let's talk about what your, your reasonings are. Let's talk about what your life is like. Let's talk about this and, and what can be different. We start out yelling. And I've talked about this on Facebook Lives and on sermons about how listening is so important and we want to be heard more than we want to listen and, and speak twice or no, listen twice and speak once and all of these things that I've said. But what it comes down to is hurt people hurt people. And right now, uh, for whatever reasons, Uh, I don't know all of them, I'm not going to list all of them, but for all of the reasons, pretty much everybody who's listening to this, pretty much everybody who's not listening to this, is going through some semblance of grief. Maybe it's because society isn't what it should be in your eyes. Maybe it's because you've lost someone. Maybe it's because you've lost a job. Maybe it's because of taxes. Maybe it's because of Texas. Maybe it's because of something else. I don't know why Texas. Maybe it's because baseball is only 60 games. Maybe it's because basketball is, isn't starting on time. Maybe it's because you think that this should have happened or you think that should have happened, whatever. Everyone is going through some kind of grief right now. And in that grief, so many people are lashing out and saying, well, this is the only way to go. And I hate you if you don't do this. Now, none of us say I hate you, but I've read the posts on Facebook, not from people that, that I know necessarily, but I've seen the memes and I've seen the things and I've seen the tweets and I've seen all of these things even from political leaders that say such hateful, angry things. And most of that, some of it does come straight from anger. Some of it comes from from a desire to hurt people. But I think most of it comes from grieving. And we're never really taught how to grieve. Uh, I'm going to say something embarrassing. When I was a kid, a little kid, a little, little kid, um, probably not much shorter than I am now, but still a little kid, uh, I had a Rainbow Bright doll. And I loved this Rainbow Bright doll. Uh, I don't know why. I just, I loved it. It was cool. It was colorful. Um, It was a neat cartoon. I remember telling my mother, who was probably watching this, and I hope she doesn't chat anything on this, um, 
I remember saying when my sister was about to be born, if you don't name her Rainbow Bride, I don't want anything to do with her. That has since changed. I am perfectly fine with her and Beatrice, and I don't need them to be named Rainbow Bright, although you can change those types of things if you really love me. Just joking. But I loved that doll. Now, I would run around with it, and I would see adults whisper, and I would see people in my family whisper, and I would see looks, and I would see all these things, but I'm a little kid, so I'm not thinking anything of that. And I'm not talking about anything uh, political here. I'm saying people expected a certain thing from a little boy, just like they expect certain things from little girls, just like they expect certain things from adult women, from adult men, from teen boys, from teen girls. And, and, and looking back, I'm like, oh, well, I know what they thought now. I know what they thought of me. I know that they thought that was weird, that I shouldn't have had a doll, and all of these things. Friends did an episode of it where, where Ben, Ross's son, uh, kept carrying around a doll, and he kept switching it with a G.I. Joe, and just all of these things. And I'm not, what I'm saying is, that's how we look at grief. We look at someone who is sad, and sometimes it makes us sad. And we're like, I don't like this. Sometimes it makes us angry because we're not grieving the same thing. Uh, and sometimes we just don't understand it. And so we look at that and we're like, well, this is how they should be doing that. And all of us, no matter how Christian or not Christian we are, all of us have this inner desire to be right, like I said at the beginning, to, to tell people exactly what to do. Not out of a, a desire to control them necessarily, but just because we all believe that we are right. We all have that, that inner thought of, well, I am doing this the right way. That doesn't mean we all think we're perfect. We don't. It doesn't mean that we never think we mess up. We do. But it means that most of the time we think, well, I know the right way to do this, and so I will tell them. And, and so we see somebody grieving, and we're like, well, they should be doing it this way, or they should be doing it that way, so I'm going to fix that. Uh, when in fact, they just want you to listen. They just want you to be there. Somebody will see us grieving. They're like, well, they're not doing this the right way. Why are they grieving that? Why aren't they grieving that? Uh, one of the things that I've talked about, uh, I'm not huge on celebrity culture, but there are certain people that have had a big impact on my life, like Stan Lee, who uh, created Marvel and created all these people, and I look to him as a hero. Uh, he served in World War II. He wrote training manuals. He's done so much good. Uh, for race relations, for all of these different things. But it all comes down to he created Spider-Man and all of these things that really affected me and impacted me. And when he died, I was very sad. I don't know him. I never really met him. I kind of did once, but it's like I carried that. Uh, Supernatural is something that has been a big force in my life. Now, God is first, and I, I, I know I don't need to say that, but it's important for me to say. But Supernatural helped me through a time in my life where depression was a big deal from all the way 2005 to now. And I met the guys in the show, and I've talked to them, and I know what they, they stand for, and I know how they help with depression. And so when that show ends, if it ever comes back on TV, uh, it's going to make me sad. Now, I'm not going to give up on life, and I'm not going to do all these things, but it's going to make me sad. And there are absolutely going to be people that say it's just a TV show. Uh, my dog, Stevie, who I love so much and has meant so much to my life and to so many other people, uh, she helped my great-grandmother her last years be important. She helped them... Uh, she gave her something to focus on, something to hold, something to love that loved her back in, entirely. And, and it helped both of us. It helped me through her loss. It, she helped me through uh, moving. She helped me through changing jobs, all of these things. In 50-some years when she passes, it's going to be extremely sad for me, like a child, like a family member, because that's what she is. And I absolutely guarantee there will be people that say it's just a dog. Now, if you say that, you're wrong. 
But there are people that will say, it's just a dog. For you, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a show. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's, it's an old Sunday school teacher. Maybe it is uh, someone that you've never met, someone like Dave Ramsey or, or whatever. Billy Graham, when he passed. Maybe it's somebody who has had such an impact on your life, but you've never actually met them. You've never actually talked to them. Maybe it's something that you associate with something else, that you associate with something else that all brings you back to Christ, and you grieve it. And there will be people that say, no, no, no. You cannot grieve that. For Jeremiah, there were people that said, what do you have to grieve, dude? You were right. What do you have to be sad about? Why are you lamenting all of this when you're still at home? Like the king lets you do whatever you want, and you didn't die. And there were people that said that. And yet his grief wasn't for himself. It was for them. It was for the fact that they look at things right now. Right now in our society, human nature has always sucked, just to be straight up. And the only thing that saves us is, is the love of Christ coming through, the, through us. But right now, so many people have so much time and so much grief and so much hurt that they're just striking out at everyone and everything because that gives them a little bit of time to feel better. Uh, when you were a kid, probably your parents said, uh, if they're bullying on you, it's because they're jealous and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. But regardless, there are people who are uncomfortable with other people's grief and people who are uncomfortable with their own grief. The point of this week is just to say, simply put, grief is good. Now, you don't want it to be your entire life. You want to do your best to work through it, but you also don't want to set a timetable like, if I'm not done in six days, then I'm just going to immediately be happy. That's not how it works. Because in that grief, you find God. Now, he's there in the good times too, but in that grief, you find God because he is a God of the brokenhearted. And he hears the brokenhearted and he loves them. And he was with Jeremiah every single day. And he was with Israel every single day of the exile, even though they were being punished, even though they were hurting. He still loved them and he lifted them up and he taught them and he helped them. And eventually they came through it and eventually Jeremiah came through it and eventually I came through it and eventually we all will come through it. But the point is to go through it. The point is to look at God through it, to help others through it. If you are grieving, talk to someone. Pray, absolutely. Talk to someone. And maybe they're grieving too and you can help each other. I know that there are grief classes and grief groups and things like that and those are good. But we live in a world where everyone wants us to be the same all of the time and to be happy all of the time, and, and that's not working. And so when you are grieving something, don't let people say, it's just a dog, it's just a show, it's just whatever. Be like, okay, God, help me to learn from this. Help me to grow from this. Please give me the time to get through this. Help me to, to keep looking to you, to keep helping others, to keep teaching others from this. Because I promise you that in that grief, you will find him, you will feel him, you will learn something because he is there. No matter what happens in your life, He is there. No matter what you go through, He is there. Trust that because that's the only thing. He is the only thing that will never leave. The only thing that will never disappoint. The only thing that will never forsake. So love Him. Allow yourself to grieve. grieve. Allow yourself to have the time to work through it. And learn from Jeremiah. Learn from how he poured out his heart and wasn't ashamed of it. And how he didn't shame others for the way they did. But he loved God and he talked about Him. And he talked about his sadness. So do that. And learn from it. And if you need help, reach out to me. Reach out to a pastor. Reach out to someone who can help you along the way. But keep praying. Keep looking to Him. And keep doing everything you can to treat everyone else like He would treat you. That's all I got.